0: Uh, good morning. My name's Alex, and I'm reading the Bible f- for us today. Uh, two readings: one from Kings, and one from Psalm 34. First uh, Kings, uh, starting chapter 16 and verse 29. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel, and he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal and he built that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. In Ahab's time, Hiel of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn son, Abiram, and he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Moving on to chapter 18. After a long time in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria, and Ahab had summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in caves, 50 each, and supplied them with food and water. Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land they they were to cover, Ahab going in one direction and Obadiah the other. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely as the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when you leave me. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, 50 in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. He will kill me. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Now reading from Psalm 34. Uh, This is a Psalm of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away and he left. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to fear the Lord. Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to blot out their name from the earth. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who crushed, who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have troubles but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Evil will slay the wicked. The foes of the righteous will be condemned. The Lord will rescue his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned.
1: Good morning. I'm John and uh, it's, uh, it's a privilege to be able to open God's word with God's people. And uh, I thank Jeff and the session for inviting me to, uh, to run a, well, a series for you through, uh, the, through some glimpses into Elijah, um, a man we know well in the Old Testament. Um, but I just want to take some different angles on some of his, uh, his accounts that we find in the Old Testament. Let's pray. Our Father God, we know that spiritual things are spiritually discerned, for that is what you tell us in your word. So our Lord, by your spirit today, enlighten us, that we might see new glories, old truths, deep riches, and not just see them, our Father, but to learn from them and to let you speak to our hearts in ways that shape our lives so that we might glorify Christ and bring honour and praise to your name. Amen. This week, the official death toll due to COVID in the United States topped 1 million. Worldwide, there's been more than 6 million deaths. In a little over two years, six million people have died through the pandemic. Can you get your head around that? It's a huge number. And while some were aghast at Australia's lockdowns and and work restrictions and hard borders and bans on gatherings, even such as church, and the debate will continue if our leaders went too far, nevertheless, Those statistics of COVID's death toll just this week shows that it is a serious virus, and it demands and demanded radical measures. In Old Testament times, the nation of Israel found herself time and again in need of radical measures, radical spiritual measures. As a nation, she departed from following the Lord God and she got herself engrossed with with worshipping other so-called gods. Gods that were no gods at all. Idols of stone and of wood and of of handmade things. Things that the pagan religions bowed down to, that the surrounding nations honoured. And our reading today from 1 Kings catapults us back to that time, to the reign of... King Ahab and his foreign queen Jezebel they introduced to Israel a fertility idol called Baal and like sheep without a brain the masses of Israel abandoned the Lord God and they flocked after Baal they were unaware of it but they were in grave spiritual peril. And God sent them a prophet named Elijah to deal seriously with this serious situation. His name Elijah literally means, my God is Jehovah. A sharp slap in the face to the worship of Baal as God that was sweeping across the people. For through Elijah, God would show himself to be the one true living God. But King Ahab, he would not recognize Elijah as God's man who came with God's authority. Ahab saw Elijah as as an absolute oddball. He was rugged, he was straight from the shoulder. Elijah called a spade a shovel. His hometown of Gilead was basically rough hill country. Elijah would have been a complete social misfit in the sophisticated courts of Ahab's palace. But regardless of impressions or appearances, just like we heard in the kids' talk this morning, it's what was on the inside that counted. And the word of the Lord came from Elijah's lips. Elijah spoke truth to people who'd strayed from the truth. Yet Ahab took no notice. He passed Elijah off as just an eccentric. He took no notice, that is, until the drought that Elijah had predicted really started to grip. And it hit Ahab hard. His royal stables, the pride and joy, they were becoming in a situation where there was not even enough water and food and he would have to start slaughtering his horses. And at that point, Ahab remembered Elijah. He needed a scapegoat. But the item here to note is that Elijah's word about the drought had come true. He'd forecast it, he predicted it, he'd prophesied it. He said that it would not rain and it didn't. There was not a drop, there was not even any dew on the ground for that three and a half years. And I think it helps us to ask the question how could Elijah be so sure? Ah, he was a man of God, absolutely. And we know through the scriptures that that some men of God saw visions and they spoke of those visions. Some men of God were visited by angels and they revealed what they'd been told. Others, we know, were transported to God's throne. We know that the Spirit of God inspired them in some direct sense. But as you read around the story of Elijah, none of those methods come to light how did Elijah know about this drought how did he know how could he be so sure and this is where we must let the word of god interpret the word of god where we must let one part of god's word throw light on another part we must learn to let scripture interpret scripture And over in the book of James, the old apostle holds up Elijah as the example par excellence of a praying righteous man. In chapter 5 and verse 17, it says this of James, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Notice here again, no indication that Elijah had a vision. No indication that Elijah had some angelic messenger to transmit the word of the Lord to him. Rather, prayer was a major factor in Elijah's warning of this drought. But we keep coming back to this question, but how could Elijah be so sure Does Elijah's example mean that if I pray earnestly enough that my prayers will come true? That if I pray earnestly enough that, that God will give me that, that new high six-figure job, that I'll get that job? Or that, that, that God will take away all my health issues? Or that God will, will remove that annoying neighbour That's the way that some folk want to apply this part of the scriptures. You see, Elijah prayed and it happened. So if we pray, it will happen for us too. Unfortunately, such an approach not only leads to frustration because it doesn't quite seem to work that way, but it doesn't work that way because it's applying the scriptures wrongly. That method has left out one vital step of the equation. For earlier in James, God had said, we do not have because we ask with the wrong motive to spend what we get on our own pleasures. We pray because this is what we want. This is what's going to suit me. This is going to make my life easier or more comfortable. So earnestly praying isn't the simple solution as it's sometimes promoted our motive must be taken into account in John's gospel in verse chapter 15 verse 7 Jesus says if you remain in me and my words remain in you ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you and this this is the secret to the effectiveness of Elijah's prayer The word of God was abiding in Elijah. Jesus said, My words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. Elijah's statement was in accordance with the word of God, it was consistent with God's will. This was praying for what God wanted not for what Elijah wanted. It was praying what had already been revealed at an earlier stage. Elijah's prayer for the drought wasn't some bolt out of the blue. Elijah's prayer was effective because he was praying back to God what God had already said was his will. And this is the essence of proper prayer that we need to grasp. For without understanding and applying this principle, our prayers can simply degenerate into into presumptions and demands and, and seeking from God things that are without basis in the word of God, things that are inconsistent with his revealed will. About now, you should be saying to yourself, "Okay, preacher, let's get back to Elijah. Prove it. Where in the word is the basis for praying up a drought? What part of the will of the Lord did Elijah claim and hold up to the Lord to fulfill? Well, for that, we need to go back to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 11. where Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, he says, be careful, be careful, or you will be enticed to turn away and worship other gods and bow down before them. Oh, that sounds like what was happening in 1 Kings 17 with Ahab. Be careful, for if you worship other gods and bow down before them, then the Lord's anger will burn against you, and he will shut the heavens so that it will not rain, and the ground will not yield any produce, and you will perish from the good land that the Lord is giving you. It's a fairly solemn warning, isn't it? But Elijah knew that warning. And he knew what was there in the Word of God. King Ahab and Queen Jezebel were leading the whole nation Israel down the pathway of false worship of Baal and Asherah poles. And so God's Word and His will in that situation were there in black and white for Elijah and any others who cared to know about it. Elijah didn't have to spend hours agonizing to discover what God's will was in this situation. God's will had been made known already in his word. God had said, you follow false gods and I will punish you. And one of the rods of my punishment on wayward people is drought. The land will not produce. And so Elijah takes that godly curse as the basis of his prayer. And he asked that God would bring in that drought, just as God had already said he would. And that is prayer. It's an effective prayer. Because he's simply echoing back to God, God's own promises, God's own word that cannot be broken. The prayer of a righteous man. Why? because he is putting his trust wholly on what God has said, and he's not seeking it for his own purposes and his own comfort and his own will. I've got to admit, praying for a drought seems cruel, seems harsh. To ask God to punish, to bring a curse upon your own people, upon your friends, upon your neighbours, upon your own family. We'd much all prefer to pray, God bless our land, God help our people, amen. But Elijah couldn't have prayed that with any effectiveness because God had already made it plain in his word that his face would be set against those who are unfaithful to him. And his purpose was to purge and to purify his people, to turn their hearts back to him. So for Elijah, a man of God, a man aware of God's word, even though his eyes might have been streaming with tears of bitterness and sorrow for the hardship and even for the death that would follow through the effectiveness of his prayer, he had to pray for God to execute what God's will already was. That's one of the tough things about being a follower of God, about being someone who who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. If you're dedicated and determined to do God's will, then you get to know his word, and as you get to know his word, you learn quickly that you can't be half-hearted. You can't be lukewarm. Being being part of God's people means coming into his light. And God's light sharply reveals the darkness. And we know in that darkness there are those who live faithlessly. we've got to be careful that we don't undermine the word of God's truth, that we don't round off its edges to make it sort of more comfortable. We've got to be careful that we don't modify it so that we can fit in better. Elijah was in a tough situation. He could see his people around him following false gods, And he knew the word of God and God's will in this situation. And I'm sure he wanted for his people to come back into that space where they honoured and worshipped God properly. But to do that, they were going to be taken through a period of trial and tribulation and suffering and hardship so that the hardness of their heart could be broken. And Elijah was willing to administer that dose of bitter medicine in order to cure the fatal ill of the nation. And Elijah in that space would have had to restrain himself and let God be God. Can you imagine if the the army for 24 hours ran an experiment by completely inverting the chain of command for a day? the officers and the enlisted men swapping places. Suddenly, the, uh, the lowest ranked potato-peeling private would find himself the commander. Everyone would salute him. He'd probably think that was great. But he'd also have, wouldn't he, he'd also have to make all the decisions that would affect all of the lives and the welfare of every single soldier under his command. I think the wisest decision that that private turned commander for a day could ever make would be to say, I'll sleep on it and we'll make the decision tomorrow. In our less charitable moments, we will rave and rant against God and we will pull against his ways and we'll go, God, this is terrible. How can this be? But which of us would really want God's job? Other than God, who would you want in charge of this world? Is there anyone who can challenge God's wisdom? Is there anyone who could better direct the show? I know in my puny little world of which over which I have control, I have great difficulty in knowing what is the right thing to do and then applying the right thing with any sort of consistency. I found that out as a father, as my children were growing up, seeking to discipline them and train them up in the way of the Lord. It was always challenging. It was always, is this right? Is this wrong? How do I go about applying this in a way that builds wisdom and godliness into my children? Who'd want the task of being God Elijah as he prayed for that drought he let God be God he didn't give lip service to the confession that the Lord is God he lived by it even when it would have been easier even when it would have been safer in the short term to turn a blind eye to everything that was going on. Elijah took God seriously. And he not only accepted that God knows best, but he prayed that God's best would happen, would break in upon his world, even knowing that meant a painful purging to cure his people of their rebellion. And if rubbing shoulders with Elijah as fellow servants of God makes you a little uncomfortable, if you'd rather put a bit of distance between yourself and Elijah, you know, praying like that might be okay for him, but, but it's not your scene, it's, 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 it's not your thing, then I want you to stop and think for a moment. We started our service this morning in prayer with the Lord's Prayer. What are you really praying when you recite the part Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Aren't we praying that we desire God's rule to enter into the lives of individuals so that they will know God and honour and serve him? But in so doing, we know that means overthrowing the dominion of sin in that person's life. And that will only occur as people are confronted with their waywardness. If they're convicted of of God's righteousness, true repentance is rarely a pleasant experience. It's always tinged with sorrow and sadness, but it's one that brings salvation. We've always got to grapple with the grief of what we've done, with our guilt. It's a serious business to pray. Your kingdom come. For the good news of salvation, the gospel will cut us to the heart. It will expose our pride and our self-centeredness. It will it'll reveal our drive to be God in our own right and it will uncover our shame and our guilt and lay us bare. And it's there that we see the magnificence and the glory of the cross and the wonder of redemption in Jesus. The gospel will shine its light on all of us. It exposes us in order that we might be cleansed and healed and restored and forgiven. God's word tells us that that what the gospel will do as it works within a person to bring new life in Christ is to bring them undone in order that they might be remade in the image of Christ. Christ. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're actually doing what Elijah did. God has revealed his intention, his word, to bring men and women and boys and girls to him, and we're praying for that to happen. But if you're still looking for an escape clause by claiming the gospel deals well, it deals with individuals, it doesn't doesn't deal with nations. Elijah's Elijah's prayer affected a whole nation at no rain for three and a half years. And you've still got to come back to that phrase, thy kingdom come, and ask yourself, when ultimately will God's kingdom come? When Jesus returns. That's when it'll happen in the fullness that we'll understand it and see it, when all of us will see it, and when the Lord will welcome everybody who's got faith into heaven forever. That'll be the day his kingdom comes. But we know from the scriptures that something else happens on that day. It is the day of judgment. And over in Thessalonians chapter 1 of his second book, he says, The Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. Praying, your kingdom come, is a serious business. It impacts more than just on individuals, more than just any nation. It affects the whole of humanity. Past, present, future, for all of eternity. Your kingdom come. Do you remember in the Gilbert and Sutherland classic, The Mikado, there's this this catchy little ditty, lots of catchy little ditties in in Gilbert and Sutherland musicals, that goes, Let the punishment fit the crime. Think with me for a moment just how fitting is the punishment? That was announced by Elijah for the crime that Israel was committing. What was the punishment? It was drought. What was the crime? Idol worship. Specifically, Israel was worshipping the statue called Baal. And what was Baal perceived to be? Why was he worshipped? Well, this so called God, according to their mythology, was responsible for fertility and for prosperity of all the crops and all of the cattle. So the drought, the drought imposed by the true God, was indeed fitting. Israel could expend all her energy on worshipping Baal, but without the Lord God releasing rain, releasing even dew from heaven, the land, the cattle, the crops, nothing would be produced this new national religion being spearheaded by the king and queen, would be exposed to be hollow. Baal was nothing more than a lump of stone. And thy kingdom come on that final day of judgment. God will continue to let the punishment fit the crime. For to every person who lives their life here and now, shunning God, Going about their way without any reference to the true Lord, showing by their manners and their habits that they don't want God involved in their lives, God will grant them that wish. How did that verse from 2 Thessalonians put it? They'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord forever. They have said in this life, We don't want you, God, in our lives. And so he withdraws his presence from their lives for eternity. But in withdrawing his presence it's also a withdrawal of his patience and his goodness and his mercy and all of his other blessings that are now known to us as we live on this earth. That even now the rebels enjoy as they can live in a in a reasonably pleasant and comfortable world that God has provided to be shut out from God's presence is to lose all of his blessings is to forfeit all that he currently restrains and instead his anger and his wrath will be executed on the sins of the world those who don't want God in their lives don't know what they're saying and sometimes when we pray thy kingdom come we fail to understand its implications we're in a serious business the results of being faithful to God and clearly upholding his word and doing his will will be solemn and sober it should cause soul searching for each of us and a re evaluation of our lifestyles and our habits and our worldview. The gloom and the doom and heavy hearts. They're but for a season. They're a necessary chapter, but they're not the whole story. Elijah announced the drought. He undoubtedly could see the short term pain that would come, but his eyes were fixed firmly on a hope for the nation, that they would repent, that they would come again with all of their heart and follow the one true God, that their blindness would be shattered and their eyes would again see the glory of the Lord. And that's part of the way we need to see things too, if we're going to overcome our reluctance in being clear about what God's will is. About praying, thy kingdom come. We've got to see that unless we are firm about these things and clear about these things, the world around us is going to say, you go to church, what's that all about? You've got a faith in Jesus, so what? Who needs to be saved? What do we need to be saved from? We're in no danger. We're okay. The way to salvation, the gospel, will involve some level of facing sin. It involves the pain of confrontation. But at the end of that, the results are faith in Christ as Saviour and Lord. We need to live our lives in that way. We need to promote the gospel in that way. We need to be pleasers of God rather than of men, seeking His will and not ours, because we know that the future is secure because He has told it to us in His word that we stand on. Let's pray. Our Father, we're a a long way from old Israel. We're a long way from statues of Baal and Asherah Poles and and, 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 and Ahabs and Jezebels. But our Lord, our heart condition is so much the same. And so much, our Father, we need more the, the courage and the forthrightness Of Elijah to stand firm on your word and be committed to it to do so our father with tears but with great hope for our Lord we know that your gospel brings salvation to all who believe so father give us the opportunity this week in our neighborhoods in our schools in our workplaces in our family and our friends, to be salt and light that makes a difference and proclaim your will clearly. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.